Thanks, Becky. Thank you, Mel. There is a message outline or a sermon outline uh, in your Sunday news this morning as a part of the insert, and if that would be helpful to you this morning, you're welcome to follow along. This week, I was uh, reflecting a little bit about making the uh, choice of a career vocation. How did you ever get into your line of employment? And I would be interested, uh, actually, if I had time to sit with all of you and to say, what were the decisions, what, were the pro- what was the process of uh, choosing the vocation that you chose or are choosing? As I was concluding high school, I had this sense in my heart that I should enter Bible school. And there were a couple of subjects in uh, high school that needed a little upgrading, especially mathematics. I was never friends with math. And so I went to a Bible school in Medicine Hat, and there I found myself taking the first year of Bible school and also upgrading my math marks because they also had a high school there as well. And I noticed a very pleasant young lady in my new math class. When the instructor would ask her to go to the blackboard to solve a math problem, she seemed so confident and uh, so good at writing it all out. And I watched her with interest and fascination. Her long flowing hair made me take a special interest in this new math class. Actually, I was beginning to enjoy the class. Uh, Not the math, but the class. The best of my math skills uh, came out when I tried to figure out how to best put two and two together to win the attention of this pretty chick. And in time, I got the equation right, and we started to see one another. Uh, We both decided, though, that we should keep calculating and just see what comes out of these new computations. Well, I headed off to Seattle to do a a Bachelor of Arts, not in mathematics, let me assure you, but in history. And this girl zipped off to Calgary to do uh, an educational degree. But by now we were writing and phoning lots, and it looked like this pretty girl in front of the math class might be part of the bigger God plan for my life. In 1969, just before the first man went to the moon, we were married. I was already there on the moon. We had uh, we'd talked a lot about uh, what we were going to do with our lives, And I had a strong sense by now that pastoral ministry uh, was uh, part of where I might be headed. And the math girl said, wherever you go, I will go. Wasn't that great? And uh, step by step, we progressed. I worked for General Motors Acceptance. uh, And this is the girl I married, actually, just so it's very clear. Uh, uh, I decided that uh, General Motors Acceptance Corporation was... uh, not going to be the final stop for me, and went on, we went on, both of us went on to seminary training, uh, and then it was time for us to launch. So we packed up the U-Haul trailer to move back home to Canada from seminary, and the first church had inquired as to our availability. And we had to say at that point, is this really the road we should travel? 
because we have no idea of what is ahead. There's a moment when we all have to make a decision. Is this a hobby or is this going to be a career? Is this just kind of for fun or is there something more here? Am I trying this out or am I really going to invest in this? Yogi Berra, the great New York Yankees catcher, expressed a bit of wisdom when he said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> I love it. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. Well, we all come to a fork in the road, don't we? And when we drove our vehicle back across the Canadian border, pulling a U-Haul trailer, our studies complete, and know knowing that soon we would be on an airplane flying to Ottawa, we knew we were finally all in. There was no turning back. We were committed. The fork in the road was to choose a pathway of pastoral ministry, and that was 40 years ago. And we don't regret one moment of taking that fork in the road. But as we followed God step by step, we saw a path unfolding. And our question was, are we all in? It's time to define where we're really at. As you know, and as Becky has already said this morning, we're just starting a series of messages called Not a Fan. And basically the question is, when you come to the fork in the road, which way will you choose? Now here's a little video clip that's just going to get us started uh, in defining a relationship with God. DTR. Some of you will recognize what those letters stand for. If you're not sure, let me help you out. If you are a young man in a relationship with a young woman, then uh, chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school on the very first date the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. <laughs> define the relationship. Now, it may not be appropriate to define the relationship on the very first date. But eventually, we come to a point where we say, where is this going? What does all of this mean? DTR. <clears throat> Over the next several weeks, I want, us to, uh, I want all of us to, to get to examine our relationship with Jesus. Now, I get the fact that uh, for some of you, this is kind of a first date, and you're not exactly sure what to make of any of this. Uh, you might be new on the journey with Christ, because you ha or maybe you even haven't started yet. So all of this is pretty new, and I understand that. But I think most of us in this room would really value having a DTR talk with Jesus. 
We need to define the relationship, find out where we stand with Jesus. And we're, we're ready to move past the casual and past the convenient into something more devoted, something more committed. So we're ready for this talk. Now, some are not because I know uh, some of us kind of like the setup with Jesus. I mean, he's a nice guy and you like church. I mean, isn't church great these days? Uh, when I think back, like we can come casual this morning and I think back and we used to go to church. It was like you got to have to get all dressed up and, and brunch. We never had brunch. The, the idea of having a brunch on a Sunday morning is just the greatest. And, uh, and the whole idea of meeting with amazing friends and you get to know the diversity of a congregation and you see the richness of people that you get to rub shoulders with on a regular basis. So we kind of like what we've got going and this idea of being more committed, this idea of taking it to a different level, makes me get a little bit anxious. But what we want to do is define the relationship. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? And to look at Christ's invitation, we'll be using a verse that clearly lays out what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and it reads, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How did Jesus define the relationship? Well, there are a number of passages that we could look at in the New Testament, but let's just kind of keep it focused on, on this particular verse. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I have no doubt that this is one of the most challenging passages in the entire Bible. This week there were four of us pastors who met from the four different churches, well actually three I guess, and uh, we, we were talking about, well where are you heading this week in, in your preaching and it was just kind of pastor's talk and I mentioned Luke chapter 9, 23 and another pastor said, <clears throat> that passage in Luke 9, 23 changed my life. That made me take my faith seriously. When I read that, he said, for the first time I understood what it would require of me. So would you look at with me with, at the grid that Jesus sets forth? <clears throat> You'll notice the context into which this verse is set. It follows the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, so did he speak to the crowds? Yes. The crowds were very much part of his ministry, and he loved them, and he fed them, and he fed them. And just about that time, he asked that a clarification from his own disciples, the 12 men who were with him from day to day. And he asked them, what's the word on the street these days? Does my name ever come up? Who do people say that I am? And he heard them respond with a variety of options. Of, oh yeah, they're talking. Some are calling you John the Baptist. And some are saying that you're Elijah. Or that you're one of the prophets risen from the dead. Okay, Jesus said, now tell me, who do you say that I am? And wonderful Peter stood tall and declared, well, you're the Messiah sent from God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Peter was right. But now it's at this point that Jesus wants to make sure that everybody really gets it. 
It's not enough that people can look at Jesus and say, amazing, this guy, Jesus. Have you met Jesus? He's incredible. When I listen to him talk, I learn more from him than anybody else. He does all kinds of incredible stuff. Have you met Jesus? It's not enough that people can look at Jesus and admire him. What Jesus wants is for people to commit. To be real clear about their relationship to him and to ultimately be devoted to following him. Now, what gave me an aha moment this week, and I always love it when you're reading along and you get the aha moment, was, was the, the next paragraph when Jesus predicts his death. He predicts the cross that is coming, the cross that is in front of him, for him personally. It says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, that's the first time to my knowledge that the whole concept of the cross lands on the front page. And the disciples weren't ready for this kind of thing. And it's like they say, stop, Jesus, stop. Don't talk about the cross. We've left everything. We've left our vocations and our families and our homes and our investments. We have left everything and we have given everything to following after you. And you tell us you're going to die? Yes. Jesus predicts that he himself will bear a cross. And then after having said that, he speaks to the crowd about the fact that they too are called upon to bear a cross. It's not like he doesn't ask for anything that he himself is not willing to do in order to follow his father. So what does it mean to follow? Number one, following Jesus means turning from your selfish ways. Turning from your selfish ways. The New International Version says you must deny yourself. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself. Now, what does that mean? Before we answer that, we should first of all not miss these words, if anyone, anyone. If you know Christ, regardless of the century you live in, the 21st century or the 1st century, you're in this picture. If anyone, Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower. It kind of sends a chill up your back when you personalize this. I mean, put your name in that verse. If Mary wants to be my follower, if John wants to be my follower, if Bob wants to be my follower, if Ken wants to be my follower, he must turn from his selfish ways, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the message is for all of us. The other thing you're prompted to notice in the verse is that following is a choice. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus says. That's a choice. Do you want to be? You may choose to do this, but you don't have to make that choice. But if you want to be a follower of his. But yes, if you wish to be a follower of the master, you you have to go all out. And then the verse is for you. But if you don't want to do it, you can forget it. It's a choice. 
If you're just messing around with Christianity, then this verse isn't for you. This verse has little to say to you. The other comment that jumps out from this verse is that the call to follow Jesus with everything you have is a must. Look at what it says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross daily. You must follow me. Dr. Howard Hendricks uh, used to say, a professor in Dallas Theological Seminary, certain things must be in order that other things might be. If you wish to experience the abundant life of Christ, if you wish to experience the very best that Christ has, there are things that must be in order for that to happen. And the first thing is right here, that the follower would say no to himself or to herself. It means an outright refusal to put yourself above Christ in any way. It means to relinquish my preferences. And so that cuts through to the very last fiber of our desire to have our world revolve around me. Narcissism pervades our lives. It pervades our culture. Perhaps as never before, egotism, vanity, conceit, selfishness. It's just all around us. And this verse cuts against all of that, that the world is all about Ken. No, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to turn from our selfish ways in order to follow him and go with his plan. We willingly say, I put Christ in charge of my life. Rule in me, reign in me, take charge of my life. The second thing it means is taking up your cross daily or dying to self. The cross was a means of carrying out the death sentence. For a criminal, he would carry the actual cross that he would be hung upon. The only reason a cross appeared on anyone's shoulders was because he was on his way to die. It was always a one-way trip. And Jesus tells us to be the ones who would welcome death to self as a disciple. A disciple does this daily. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's favorite words were, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die. Today in our churches, we, we hang crosses on the walls. We'll eventually have a cross behind here, and have crosses on the exterior. We, people wear necklaces as pieces of jewelry. We've beautified the cross. But we're reminded that in the first century, the cross was an implement of death. We can never forget that. The cross was an implement of death. For a Christian to bear a cross is to be prepared to face rejection, perhaps even death, for the path that one walks. I was reading the story of a, of a Christian missionary, and he said he had established a relationship uh, with a gentleman uh, in another country of the world. And it, it seemed like things were going so well. He said, have you come to a point in your life where you would say yes to Jesus Christ? And this man who was just on the verge of saying yes, but he said, you don't really get it, do you? You don't understand 
what that would cost me. Do you know that what would happen if I did that? If I announced it to anybody, my wife would leave me. My family would disown me. My boss would fire me. I would want to leave perhaps and go back to the United States and the government would not give me an exit visa. He said, I'd give up everything to make that decision. And that's where this verse, take up your cross, really hits home. That's huge for many in other cultures to say yes to Christ and to be followers of Christ because it means taking up their cross. It means dying to self. But we also face taking up our cross in our world, in our culture every day. It means that one has died to the world and its values and its lifestyle and said yes to Christ. Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily. There will be crosses that you face in the days ahead. You don't know what they will look like. You don't know what they will be. And perhaps today you're at a vantage point where you can look back and see some of the crosses that you have dealt with in your life. You can see the scars from the crosses that you've experienced but most of us would say, I would never ask to have it back again. I would never ask for that, but having gone through that in my life, I can only say thank you, Jesus. Because I wouldn't be the man or woman I am trying to be today without that experience in my life. Amen? The scar reminds me of the grace of God. That scar reminds me of the grace of God in my life. And then number three, following Jesus means being faithful to keep following. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now there's kind of another aha here. The verb structure of follow me is in the present tense. While the other two were not in the present tense, which gives an interesting flavor as if to say, keep on following me. There is a call to deny oneself, to take up the cross daily, and having done that, to keep on following Christ. In other words, I don't let the impact of the cross of Jesus from yesterday keep me from following today. So has something hard happened in your life, in your past? Did you get hurt? Did you go through an unbelievable time of pain that a lot of people around you can't even understand? Was it an accident? Was it sickness? Was it some tragedy that came upon you? Was it some family conflict? Was it some church conflict? And it's a huge scar in your life. This verse helps me understand that I don't let the pain of what's happened in the past stop me from worshiping Him in the future. I press on. 
I continue on. I make the choice to follow him in spite of all that has gone on before. So keep on following him. Now, just as I kind of begin to wrap this up, let me bring it to a practical application of where we live today. I wore my Oilers sweater intentionally this morning. I am an Oilers fan. I like it when they win. I get disappointed when they lose. I admire them at times. I mutter at them at times. Last night was classic. I muttered in the first period. In the second period, I was impressed. In the third period, I said, that's my team. They're awesome. I am a fan of the Oilers. The big question in this series of messages and the videos that you will witness in your home groups is this. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? The word fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. We're all fans of different things, right? And my concern is that our church or any other church has the potential to very easily become just a stadium full of fans of Jesus. And Jesus never cared about having fans. If you define a fan as an enthusiastic admirer, then fans were not important to him. So if, if we'll be honest with ourselves, if we'll really search our hearts and begin to define our relationship with Jesus, there are three questions for us to answer. And here's the first one. Why are we here? Why are we here? If you read through the Gospels, Jesus at different points in his ministry would draw a line in the sand and he would separate the fans from the followers. One such instance is John chapter 6 and Jesus in the height of his ministry and we read that in the most popular time of his ministry that great crowds were following him and he was very popular and he was working miracles. He was providing food from just five loaves of bread and a few fish. And a lot of people were in the crowd following Jesus. But it says in verse 2 that Jesus realized why they were coming. They were coming because of the miracles. They didn't come for the reason of following Jesus. They were fascinated with this man and the miracles. So why are you here? What is your because? Is it because of the wonderful brunch? By the way, I love brunch. Such a great way to meet people. Do you come because of these wonderfully comfortable high-end chairs that you sit in? <laughs> or do you love the music? But at some point, let's define the relationship. Why are you here? In that passage, Jesus challenges the fans to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And in verse 66, here's what it reads. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. A lot of them went home because Jesus says, let's define what we've got here. And what he offered isn't what they wanted. 
They were looking for the miracles, more for the show, more for what Jesus can do for you. And he wants there to be a point where we define the relationship. Why are you here? The heart of Jesus for you is the very personal connection with him. The second question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you all in? Being a follower of Jesus requires complete commitment. A follower of, of Jesus will do whatever it takes to follow him. They're absolutely loyal, completely committed. I read the story the other day of a, of a young man. He went to a card shop because it was Valentine's Day. And he just wanted to find the right card for his girlfriend. So he told the clerk that he wanted something very special that would express deep sentiment. Well, she quickly selected a card and informed him. She said, this is our most popular card. He opened it up and the message read, to the only girl I've ever loved. He said, that's perfect. Give me six of those. He needed to decide, and in this case, I'm not sure if his intentions were good. On the whole, we don't do so well with absolute commitment, do we? I think we prefer selective commitment. Simply put, we customize Christianity. Oftentimes, we look at our relationship with Jesus and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to kind of pick and choose the areas in which I will follow him. So you say, well, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person that hurt me. I'm not going to let go of that resentment. I'm not going to let go of that bitterness. I deserve that. And I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about my money. I work hard for that money. I'll follow Jesus, but don't tell me to abstain from those sexual desires. Don't ask me not to do that. I'm a follower of Jesus, but that won't stop me from getting what I want. So it's this customized Christianity that says, well, I'll follow Jesus, but only in the areas that are comfortable, only in the areas that I agree with. I'm a Christian, but I'm not all in. So in defining the relationship to Jesus, we, we ask, why are you here? Are you all in? And then finally... Have you made it your own? Have you made it your own? Many of us, me included, started going to church because of a parent. Mom made me. Dad said, you had to. There wasn't an option. Or maybe you started coming because of a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse. You come because they like it when you come. You come because it appeases them. For those of us who grew up in the church or who attend church in order to appease a significant other or relative, it can be really easy just to become a fan. We keep coming to appease someone else. And pretty soon we get into the flow of things. We, we know most of the songs. We even recognize the stories or the teachings. And we're kind of like fans of Jesus. But that can be the most dangerous situation to be in. There's a numbing effect that sets in. You become numb to real faith. 
you become comfortable with a few songs and a few favorite verses, none of which require any sacrifice or personal change. And we have to make our faith our own. Jesus isn't looking for a relationship between you and your mom and him. He's not looking for a relationship between you and your wife or your husband and him. So begin to search your heart in these next few weeks as we go through this series. And we ask, are you a follower of Jesus or just a fan?